What if it rained food? What if Earth was a cube? What if we had nine lives? What if bits could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have knees, if we walked through life slightly magnetical, it's absurd. Absurd hypotheticals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Guys, I don't know about you, but since the uh, the exciting, interesting times, I have been ordering just about everything to my home. Stores no longer exist in my brain. So what we're going to be doing today is looking at if none of that happened, and what if all mail delivery and postal service stopped? I bought most of my stuff online before the pandemic (laughs) except for like groceries and stuff and i started to shift to delivery more for that yeah i was i was dabbling with the postal with the grocery delivery services i mean we're we're all in 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 boston a pretty major city so it works pretty well out here doing the grocery delivery so i've I've been liking it i also it just saves you a whole bunch of for me it saves me a whole bunch of time just you spend 20 minutes on the couch picking things out as opposed to you know two hours in the in, in the actual grocery store finding things right there's, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons. I, I've, I still go to the store even now occasionally for specific things. Usually, if I'm like, uh, I just need to buy some amount of food. I don't know what I want yet. If I, if I don't have a good plan, I can't like think of the last time I was in a store. The, the first store I went to, like after you know, after the long break, was uh, actually a Best Buy of all places. <laughs> when Sarah got a new laptop, and that was a weird experience because not only had I not been in a store for so long, it was also I had never been, I hadn't been in a Best Buy in like five years because why would you ever go to Best Buy? I mean, pretty much everything I buy is just on Amazon, and it's been like that for even before the pandemic. Yeah, it's it's wild, but we're gonna have to talk about now if there was no Amazon at all. That would be sad. <laughs> well, I guess they would have their 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 like five brick and mortar stores that still exist. <laughs> They have more than that, didn't they? Expand, or they, I guess they have bookstores. I guess they also have all the Whole Foods now, too. I don't know how many brick-and-mortar stores Amazon has. It seems out of their business model. But anyway, j- just to help clarify a little bit what we mean with all mail and delivery postal service stop, we're talking about all the major carriers, USPS, UPS, FedEx, etc. And we're including both, you know, physical, ma- like, you know, letter mail and packages as all those services stopped. So I'll go ahead and start us off. Kind of what I wanted to look into is that once we take away the mail system, people are still going to need to get things places and they're still going to want to order things to their house. So the natural reaction to that would just be, okay, we're going to just start doing that ourselves, you know, or hiring other people to do it for us. Kind of, um, you know, doing small scale mail service, like without the giant um, carriers. Um, and of course, what we lose is the large-scale delivery models that the postal services use. So could we keep up with the demand for packages ourselves if we abandoned the big postal services? Um, so, of course, first question is, how many... I, I kind of ignored letters, and part of the reason is almost, like, a good half of all letter deliveries are um, business advertisements, and so we don't really need those. And most of things that are in a letter could be done in an email if, you know, we came into this hypothetical situation. So I, I really want to focus on packages because you can't email a package. You wouldn't email a package. 
Sorry, that <laughs> oh was God. that was. I just had to make the joke anyway. Continue. For for anyone who, who wasn't watching a whole bunch of movies in the nineties, <laughs> that was the the old ad of when they're when uh you wouldn't steal a car or no, you wouldn't download a car. Yeah, yeah. Against pirating music and shows and everything was big back then, so they're like, you wouldn't download a car, and I like couldn't help but think, yeah, my twelve year old self was like, absolutely, I would if yeah. I could get a car through LimeWire. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, now I could. If I have a 3D printer, I could download and print a whole car one six-inch by six-inch section <laughs> at a time. All right, back to what I was doing here. Packages. How many packages? So the, the ones I counted, the, the big four, USPS, UPS, FedEx, and Amazon. The one who delivers the most packages, actually USPS, does 7.5 billion packages a year. UPS does 5.8 billion. FedEx does three, and Amazon is approaching FedEx with 2.5 billion packages. They're now self-delivering a lot of their stuff. So totaling those up, that's 18.8 billion packages delivered a year, or 51.5 million packages a day. That's a lot of packages. And there's some really optimized math behind um, getting you your two-day delivery. It's actually quite a deep rabbit hole. I'm not going to go into any of like the backend stuff, but if you're if you're interested in it, you can kind of start out by checking out why you know the, why the UPS trucks only make right turns is kind of a a famous example of what how they optimize. They they do a lot of crazy stuff like live tracking for accidents reports and things, and uh, all these big systems in place to create these efficiencies because every mile they save saves them some ungodly amount of money when you're delivering at a national scale but let's look at the kind of the end result of how efficient the ups is because ups gave me some gave me some pretty good numbers ups delivers 16 million packages a day out of that 51.5 so they do quite a bit a good chunk of it they do this with a fleet of 55,000 trucks that's not that many if you just kind of divide that out each truck then de- is delivering 291 packages a day and if you assume a eight-hour workday that's 36 packages an hour, or delivering a single package every 1.64 minutes. That's insane. Also, it didn't sound quite right to me, <laughs> so I double-checked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the UPS specifically reports that a typical driver on a shift will deliver an average of 120 packages a day, which is a package every four minutes, which is still insane. Yeah. <laughs> four minutes is like delivering a package to a new place. That's It's wild. And a big, like I said, a big attribution that is all this crazy optimization math they're doing uh my, my favorite efficiency fact that that from what they had is that there's like a regulation that the truck is loaded so that the ups driver will not have to move more than 30 inches to grab the next package for delivery which i don't even qu- quite understand how that works but it's in there it's it's in their stat sheet i want to see like their their experiments for doing this <laughs> just having some guy like reach into a truck and like measuring it <laughs> <laughs> they get a guy with 30 inch arms to make sure that uh yeah <laughs> which i guess is about an arm is about an arm length like 30 feet? inches less than three yeah. yeah it's like two and a I half i mean that, yeah. they chose that for a reason <laughs> it's all coming together <laughs> they just arbitrarily pick 30 inches yeah so <laughs> they're, do- they're doing 120 packages a day how would we do and actually i think a good comparison point what i used here is the main mode of delivery that we do as uh, individuals is food delivery if you're going to have someone who's like moderately practiced at it so i got into the data for uber eats 
about how many deliveries they'll do kind of during the rush hour, assuming there's a high demand for packages uh, and you don't have to wait for, you know, things to pop up. During peak times, a Uber Eats driver averages two to three deliveries per hour, which you may notice is not exactly a package every four minutes. And I don't think you're going to get do much better than that because one of the big things that UPS has going for is that's delivering all the packages so it can go, you know, one house, it's neighbor, it's neighbor, it's neighbor, it's neighbor. If we're split up doing it individually, we're not going to be able to do that. We're still going to have to go to whatever store to the house and we're not going to get a much higher delivery count. So rather than those 55,000 trucks to deliver those 16 million packages, to do those same same amount, we need 800,000 drivers just due to lost efficiency. And if we want to deliver all the 51.5 million packages, we're going to need two and a half million delivery drivers. Is that in the U.S. or? Yeah, sorry. This is this is U.S. numbers. I, I, I did U.S. instead of global just because there's a lot better information for the U.S. And instead of trying to convert it out into global scale. I, the one caveat I will say is that China is responsible for like three and five packages globally, Whoa. which <laughs> is kind of crazy because, you know. Yeah, China is very big, but they're only, you know, one in eight people. You know, one in eight people are creating three in five packages, which is pretty crazy. So anyway, even that 2.57 million delivery drivers number kind of just assumes an eight-hour workday and seven days a week. So I want to see how many people you'd actually be hiring, like how many people would be delivery drivers. So first off, take off seven days a week, make it five days a week, add in a month of vacation each year for vacation six time, a vacation sick time. And we're up to 4 million drivers needed. We're going to need some overhead too, because if you're going to manage this many, if so many people are going to be in the industry, it's going to be managed by somebody. Um, I tacked on a 30% workforce for overhead manage, et cetera. UPS is actually 27%, so it should be roughly close. We probably need a little more based on how split up it is, but I left it at 30 and put it all together. That's 5.1 million people working in just deliveries. This is compared to the current amount of people working in the Postal Service, 607,000. So nearly 10 times as many. We need nearly 10 times as many people. We're assuming that we won't get more efficient as we go. <laughs> well, it's kind of tough because unless you literally reinvent the UPS, you're never going to get that efficiency again. Because the only reason you can be so efficient is you have, you're delivering to all the addresses and you can just go door to door to door to door to door to door down the same block. I imagine it'd be pretty chaotic. <laughs> In the beginning, at least. Yeah. Like, I'll say this. A UPS truck doesn't drive more than five miles away from its origin. Yeah. You're going to be doing a bit more than that. And you're not picking it all up from the same distribution facility. You'd be, like, working for, you know, a specific company, probably. Right. This is... So you're assuming that you're going off of, like, an Uber Eats system. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So with this 5.1 million, it actually isn't... Wouldn't be the largest like work set career sector in the country at that number, there'd still be three higher ones. The highest being um, local schools is actually the highest career sector in the country with 7.5 million people employed. The next one being local government, which I was kind of surprised about. 5.89 million people work in local government. There's a lot of bureaucracy. <laughs> a lot of bureaucracy. And, and that doesn't count federal or state government. That's just local government. Full service restaurants are the third one just above our 5.1 at 5.53 million people. So we'd be in fourth place with 5.1 million people working in deliveries, which is the same amount as all federal and state government employees combined, which is just kind of 
puts it all into scale. Like, it's not the biggest, but it is an F-ton of people. So, kind of overarching, can we replace the mail system with just us people? Yes, just it's kind of inefficient. And I just have a couple more notes here. When you look into delivery systems, you hear a lot, like, about the, the last mile problem. And this is the notion that it's really easy for a company to deliver your package very quickly to, like, your local distributor. And the hard part from a company standpoint is getting the last couple of miles to your specific address. It's really easy to get a whole bunch of boxes to Manhattan. It's hard to get the boxes in Manhattan to the individual apartments. Just like whenever I'm driving somewhere, it's easy to stay on the highway for three hours. It's hard to know where to go after I get off the highway. Right. Exactly. But what we're going to have is almost the opposite, which is we're going to have a first mile problem because... Without our big distributor network, it's suddenly a lot trickier to get your delivery big distances. Again, this this void will start naturally getting filled by companies who set up, you know, planes, trains, and trucks to grab a bunch of other people's packages and bring them to a major hub and start recreating that system. But until that starts to become established, and there's no guarantee it'll be established at the same scale it was originally, it's going to be tough to get something from, like, you know, California to New York. Like, someone's going to have to bring it there and... Who knows how many other packages they're going to be bringing. Uber Eats has a limit in on your distance. So <laughs> yeah, I keep trying to, like, yeah, I keep trying to order from my favorite place in, uh, in LA and they just won't deliver to me. It's insane. I don't know if like normal Uber, I think there's a limit with how far you can travel with normal Uber. Um, I think you can do like state to state. Like I think you could, you could get an Uber from Boston to New York. It's just going to be hard to find a driver who accepts the thing. Yeah. I, I've seen stories about people who have taken like multi-state Uber rides before, but I think it is something where it's tricky and expensive. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't really have a solution here, again, besides just waiting for it to get established or, hey, it's just going to be very expensive and impractical to do long distance sh- yeah, shipping. You just hire a dude to take it there, basically. But we're actually also still going to have a last mile problem <laughs> in addition to our first mile problem. Because, yeah, we're much better at the execution of the last mile because it's just a matter of driving things around. But there's one aspect that's going to likely become a victim of capitalism, and that's uh, rural areas. So one of the reasons that USPS is struggling to remain, like, well, not bankrupt is that they are obligated to provide mail delivery to every single address in the U.S. at a flat rate. And this includes really rural areas that are super inefficient to get to. So they have to deliver to places that are, you know, 50, 60 miles from their hub for the same rate that they do, you know, local town delivery. And all the non-federal delivery companies, UPS, FedEx, Amazon, they actually rely on USPS to deliver to these rural communities because it doesn't make financial sense for them to do it. And it's not just a matter of them not being able to complete, compete with the flat rate. It's just that these communities tend to be poorer. And if they had to pay a competitive delivery price, they wouldn't be able to afford to get delivery at all so it's not even so much like oh usps price this out it's they just wouldn't get deliveries and they couldn't afford it so this is kind of a problem that's that's tricky to solve because this is a real life problem that usps is having is that they're obviously operating at a loss because all these other companies or private companies are sucking up the the profitable things and they can't raise their rates and they keep having to operate at a loss and there's really not an alternative of not doing it because you know, it becomes a real problem when the deliveries to these rural companies, you know, rural communities includes like medicine and things that people actually need. So you, you could have some good Samaritans doing it. But again, that's going to be another tricky problem to solve. 
And then my last one here is the lots and lots of miles problem, which is international shipping. So I'm not sure if international shipping counts as, like, mail delivery. It's almost simpler for things to go overseas because it's such a hassle to get something across the ocean that you're going to have big companies with big transport ships bringing things over. But it's going to be even more hellishly expensive (laughs) than it is now to do any kind of international shipping. You mean I can't Uber Eats from Europe? Yeah, you can't you can't Uber Eats from Europe. So yeah, it's gonna be inefficient. You got a first mile problem, you got a last mile problem, and you got a lots and lots and lots of mile problem. So what you're saying is just that the miles are a problem, basically, right? Like that's kind of the the end end result here. Miles are a problem, yes. <laughs> so you're saying we should convert we should start using metric. The big the the big problem with delivery is that things have to go from one place to another. <laughs> right. Surprisingly, that's the tricky part. Solution: Stop delivering. <laughs> yeah, Re- revive the, the brick and mortar stores is 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 the the key, I guess. But uh, Ben, what did you, what did you do here? So I want to play into crime, actually. So you may have sort of heard at some point, you know, just just in passing about the the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, but at least I I certainly did not realize exactly what that entails. And the U.S. Postal Inspection Service is actually Actually, the country's first and oldest federal law enforcement agency. Um, it was created by Benjamin Franklin when he appointed William Goddard as the first surveyor of the American Postal Service in 1775. So before we were even technically a country, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service was created. And back then, the reason for this was just that the mail was kind of the only way to do any kind of long-distance communication. And almost more importantly, any kind of long-distance money transfer. So... This is before even, you know, wire transfers or anything. So if you were sending money, large amounts, small amounts, whatever, it had to go through the mail. And so most of the, any kinds of crimes we were seeing, you know, we think of, of you know, in Westerns, stagecoach robberies, trail, uh, train robberies, all that sort of stuff. That's all mail robberies. So that's what the service was founded to stop. And it was such a problem originally that in 1972, Congress actually imposed the death penalty for mail theft. What? Yeah, well, because because so much of it was just straight up robbery. And it, at the time, made sense. That actually wasn't removed. I couldn't find the, I, I found it at one point, I didn't write it down. I couldn't find the actual year. But it wasn't removed until the late 1800s, actually. Although earlier in the 1800s, they did scale it back to only being the death penalty for a second offense. So, you know, you had that going for you. If you accidentally snagged a postcard or something, you didn't just immediately die. But but yeah, no, like male, male crime was a very serious problem. I will say, whenever my package is stolen, I'm like, the appropriate punishment is death. Whoever took my dang package, God, I hope they die. Exactly. And yeah, and, and the, the Postal Inspection Service has actually been involved in a lot of, of really high-profile crimes. Uh, one, one of the coolest things I found is that they were actually the ones who busted the original Ponzi scheme. So the way the, like, the, first, the first, you know, the namesake Ponzi scheme happened. So in 1906, the International Universal Postal Union created these international reply coupons that were basically a way for people in different countries to send return postage to each other. So the idea was if you sent someone something in another country, you could send one of these coupons with them and they could exchange it for postage in their country. And there are regulations that set the rate of exchange there. But after World War One, there was so much currency devaluation in Europe that those rates all got all, all, um, got all out of whack. And this man in Boston named Charles Ponzi realized that because those rates were still based on post-war prices, or sorry, pre-war prices, 
if you bought those coupons in a lot of European nations and brought them back to the U.S., they were worth more than what you paid for them over there. So his original plan was to actually do this, right? To actually figure out a way to buy these international reply coupons at a large scale overseas, then bring it back and sell them in the U.S. Uh, and the way he got his funding was to convince the amounts of people that if they gave him money, he would you know, get them 50% profit within 45 days. And then this, of course, just turned into a pyramid scheme where more people came in, he used their money to pay back the initial investors, and then those people were really happy and that brought in even more people. And pretty quickly, the postal inspectors actually started looking into this because it seemed impossible for him to be making as much money as he was. And they found out that that was definitely true because there weren't enough sales worldwide of the international reply coupons to support the amount of money he was giving back. (laughs) So, but but what was funny, and then this was under their their jurisdiction because all this was happening through the mail because this was, you know, the early 1900s. But they couldn't actually do anything about it at first because no one was complaining yet because he just kept getting more investors. And, you know, we don't know exactly how long he could have gotten away with it, but he actually screwed himself over. There was a newspaper article published that that sort of started, you know, questioning what he was doing. And then he was, you know, he's like, okay, I got to get out in front of this and, you know, reassure people and and keep this, this train going. So he called a meeting with federal, state, and local authorities and basically asked them to audit him. And at the same time, he offered himself to stop taking investments while they were auditing him to make it simpler. And this, of course, you know, the news of this got out and then all of the investors panicked because they thought he was going to get shut down. And then, then they all came in and tried to get their money back. He didn't have the money and they were able to charge him with fraud. So that's how the first Ponzi scheme happened, which I thought was very fun. <laughs> just like just like call your own bluff that wasn't even made <laughs> bluff and then call your own bluff <laughs> right well i don't understand what his plan was like clearly he wasn't actually doing the thing i don't know how he expected this to go for himself but i mean whatever it, you know who knows but i mean was it technically like illegal what i mean i guess it was but like was it actually illegal what he was doing at the time he was committing fraud because he was not actually as far as I could tell, he was not actually doing the investment he said he, he was at the scale he said Oh, he was, gotcha, gotcha. Right? So he was still defrauding people through the mail. So that was, that was just a fun one that, that yes, was stopped by the, uh, the U.S. Postal Infection Service. Um, other other high-profile crimes they've done as well. Um, or they've done. They've investigated as well. Um, they actually interviewed Lee Harvey Oswald about the JFK assassination because he mail-ordered the rifle he used. Uh, they hunted down the Unabomber who who did mail bombs for like a couple of decades before he got caught as Kevin Montana. Uh, most recently, I don't know if you remember when Steve Bannon was arrested. Uh, Steve Bannon, the former strategist of Donald Trump, super racist, white supremacist guy, has a face like a melting wax figure. You know, that dude. Um, they're actually the ones who arrested him under under mail fraud claims because of a uh, an organization he was involved with. And so just overall, like, Every year, they they arrest, you know, like 1,500 people for mail fraud, around 3,000 for mail theft, 2,500 for drug trafficking. Um, and they also investigate and arrest people for robberies and burglaries of post offices and assaults and threats to postal employees. And I'm, I'm sure what you're saying in your head right now is, oh, I see where this is going. You know, Ben's going to say that we're going to get rid of the mail and this service is going to go away and all this crime is going to happen. But the thing is, all this crime requires the mail for it to happen. So actually what's going to happen is that all of this crime is just going to go away because the mail isn't there anymore. 
That's <laughs> great. <laughs> Which is great. That's good. That's a good thing. But these numbers aren't huge, right? This isn't, you know, obviously they do a lot of, of important stuff and they do stop, you know, relevant crimes and things, but they're not operating at the scale of just, you know, regular police offices or like the FBI or something, right? So the question is, are there any places where getting rid of the mail would actually make a big impact on some kind of bad crime? And the answer is opioids. So the opioid epidemic in the U.S. has been sort of a hot button thing for the last few years. There's been a drastic increase in use and deaths from mostly synthetic opioids, usually fentanyl, uh, which is a, a synthetic opi- opioid that's it's approved for treating like really severe pain and usually like advanced cancer patients. Uh, it's 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. So very, very strong narcotic. And most of the deaths coming from it are from illegally produced fentanyl that's usually mixed with like heroin or cocaine. And sort of for an idea of the scale, the deaths from synthetic opioids were, I couldn't get an exact number. I was trying to sort of read it off a graph, but it was under like 5,000 in 2013. And by 2019, it's up to 36,000. And that 36,000 is about half of the overdose deaths just overall from any drugs in 2019. Wow. Um, so obviously a big, you know, big issue that is a, still a, an increasing rate that, that um, uh, those, those overdose deaths from, from uh, synthetic opioids. And there was a DA intelligence report on how fentanyl is coming into the U.S., and the vast majority of it is just being shipped in from China. And it's, it's, we're not talking about, you know, shipping in big crates of it. Most of them, the average weight of the packages of fentanyl were under one kilogram. And most of that was just 90% pure fentanyl. And even the fentanyl that isn't being just shipped in directly, usually it's being produced in Mexico with materials sourced from either China or now it's, it's starting to be produced in India as well. But it's being shipped to Mexico and then brought in from there. So I guess the overall takeaway is that in addition to all the other male crimes happening, I guess without mail, we're going to solve the opioid crisis. Yay! Oh, so that's so positive. So there we go. That's a cool thing. It's harder to, you know, buy your replacement water bottle lids or whatever you buy on Amazon. But hey, no more opioids. So that's cool. I didn't think you'd be able to spin this positive. I did not either, man. It took me a while. (laughs) But yeah, that's what I did. So Chris, what'd you do? So when I was trying to think of what I wanted to do, I was kind of like looking at what important things I get in the mail, specifically like letters and stuff. Because um, as Marcus had mentioned, like a majority of letters like in the mail, not like packages, but letters are just like business marketing. And I couldn't really think of anything because like I don't check my mail that often when i do it is just an advertisement i don't get very many important things in there so like most of the important stuff i get is through email like there's a big push to go paperless with all these companies and lots of people have internet so like it's pretty reliable but the thing is not everyone has internet and there are a few places that don't have like they have internet but it's not reliable so i want to look at like who are these people how many people are there And according to the FCC, there are 14.5 million people in the U.S. that don't have access to high-speed internet. And a lot of these people are in, like, rural areas or, like, tribal lands. Basically just, like, remote areas, isolated areas with um, some of them have, like, challenging terrain or, like, lower incomes. And all this stuff makes it difficult to provide reliable broadband to these areas. So 
I'm thinking, okay, remote, isolated, challenging terrain. And then it popped into my head, the North Pole and Santa. <laughs> Santa is not going to get letters anymore. Or Santa, yeah, Santa doesn't have uh, internet and, and he's not going to get letters. So he has no way to get uh, a replacement for the letters. Now, is, hold on. Is, 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 your, is your premise that Santa is real and does need the letters? And does not have internet? <laughs> You're saying that Santa doesn't like watch Netflix for the other eleven months of the year, like for uh I mean I'll get into that later, maybe. Okay, we'll see. Tease, we'll tease. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to focus on like Christmas in general. And Christmas cards are actually a pretty big like they're one of the bigger things that get mailed. And they are dwindling in popularity more recently, but they there are still a lot. So there are six point five billion greeting cards in general, like just general greeting cards in 2019 that were purchased. And the largest category of that is Christmas cards at 1.6 billion in 2019. But like what what what's more important to Santa, obviously, is the letters that he gets from the kids, because that's how he knows what to get, what to send them and what to leave under their Christmas tree or under a stocking or whatever. So how many letters does Santa actually get? I knew I wanted to look at this. And Letters sent to Santa are sent through the USPS, the U.S. Postal Service. And the USPS actually has a program that handles specifically Santa's letters. Uh, it's called Operation Santa. So I went to their website, and they had a like a little fact thing. And that one of their questions was, how many, I forget exactly how they word it, but like, how many kids and families are affected by this? Or like, does this benefit and just say countless. They didn't give an, a number. So <laughs> useful for me. Maybe maybe because this isn't so much a real thing, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> or they just didn't literally didn't count them. And it's countless. <laughs> I don't know. But regardless, it's a lot. But this got me more interested in this actual program. So I looked more into it. And Operation Santa started in 1912. And the first time it was nationwide was actually in 2019. It's pretty recent. I think in 2017, they went online, and then 2019, they went nationwide. And the process of this, like the way that this works is they process Santa's letters, they post them on their website or on their app or something, and then volunteers can look at the letters, read them, adopt one of the letters, and then choose to buy the gift that the kid is is asking for and send it to them, theoretically, from Santa. So the kid sends a letter out to santa and they get a, a package from santa and it's nice i didn't know that i didn't know there was a fulfillment on santa letters like in any capacity yeah i mean it's all volunteers so like random people anyone can do it it's not like the actual postal service is sending gifts but it's still a thing do you think that causes confusion like in households where like it'll be like why did santa get me two of these <laughs> like if you're if you're if your daughter asks for i want this you know i want this barbie doll and... Well, I imagine the person, the parent would know that they sent a letter to this program and would not get them the Barbie doll. But you as a, like you, if I was a parent and my kid wrote a letter for Santa, I was like, oh, I can send it to the Santa, you know, I could give it to the letters for Santa thing. That's cool. I wouldn't, I would do without expecting to get what was submitted. Well, you have to go through like a specific process to get it into this program. So like you have to oh, it's address not just it any, to the right like, address. It's not like, oh, letters addressed to Santa go, that gets auto-sorted into the program. It's like you have to apply for it and, you know, actually know what the heck it is. before. So you don't have to apply for it. Not apply, but like you have to 
do some amount of steps that you're aware of what's happening. Yeah, so they specifically said on their website that if you just address it to Santa or like something general, which happens all the time, then it just gets processed as unmailable. But you, they, they provided two mailing addresses for you to do um, to actually get into this program. And one of them was in a town called Santa Claus, Indiana. <laughs> Apparently, there's a town named Santa Claus in Indiana. <laughs> Why not? I mean, there's stupider town names out there. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a town called North Pole in Alaska. So you can mail to either one of these places and it'll get into the program. I was just a little more interested in these locations. So I, I looked into Santa Claus, Indiana, just to f- kind of figure out why they're called that. And in 1856, they applied for a post office under the name of Santa Fe. And what happened is their application got rejected and came back with a message saying to choose a different name other than Santa Fe. And then there's some sort of process that happened, like so discussions. The wiki quote that I found was the process of settling upon the name of Santa Claus has been lost to legend. <laughs> so no one knows it's a legend. <laughs> a very, very, very dramatic way to put, I don't know, and I don't feel like trying to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's Santa Claus, Indiana. For Alaska, Salvation Army and the Alaskan Air National Guard actually work together with this program. They use a C-130 Hercules, which is a military transport aircraft, to fly gifts to remote locations in Alaska. It's just an example of this program in play. But those are exactly the types of places that wouldn't have good internet either, just remote locations in Alaska. So yeah, so kids can't get their letters to the North Pole anymore if if the USPS didn't exist then this program wouldn't exist and they wouldn't be able to do it. So my next question was, would they be able to just replace it with email? Because like, you could theoretically just email Santa and then he could send you something. <laughs> but I, w- I wasn't actually sure if there was internet at the North Pole or not. So I looked more into that. And there are approximately 4 million people that live in the Arctic Circle. And getting them high-speed internet has been historically challenging. There have been a few attempts doing it and some places do have like internet but it's not very fast or reliable but the most promising program or attempt to do this was in 2019 a company called OneWeb announced their plans to launch a low orbit satellite system that would enable them to provide high-speed internet to everyone in the world including the arctic and their plans they plan to have the, the system fully online by 2027 now this sounded promising this article that I read was from 2019. It's pretty recent. So I looked more into it. And it turns out in like between 2019 and 2020, they launched 74 satellites out of their planned 47,000, 47,000 plus satellites. And then they went bankrupt in March. <laughs> <laughs> so like, okay, that sucks. <laughs> but then apparently they got... Uh, like a huge investment, they exited bankruptcy in November. So uh, they received a $1 billion investment from the UK government and a company based in India called Barty Global. So they they exited bankruptcy and they tried to continue with their their plan, but they reduced their plan drastically. So they reduced it from 47,000 satellites to 6,000 satellites. But they still plan on doing it as we speak. As far as I know, they're still doing it. Right now, they they plan on having 648 satellites by the end of 2022. 
So reliable internet at the North Pole is potentially possible in the future, but it's not a thing right now. It'll probably take at least a few more years. And the kids know this. The kids are tech savvy. They know that there's no internet in the North Pole. They're not going to believe that you can email Santa. The plan's not going to work. <laughs> so yeah, it's not a reliable substitute for mailing letters. If the mail stopped, then kids would stop believing in Santa and Christmas would die. I brought down your positivity, Ben. Man. Wow. How was how was my answer involving the opioid crisis more hopeful than yours <laughs> about Santa Claus? <laughs> this is a banner day in this podcast. What if, what if, can't you just add, like, Santa has the magic router to the lore? Nope. The science doesn't work. I have dealt with a lot of routers. There's no such thing as a magic router. <laughs> it's only terrible opioid routers. Yep. All right, and on that on that positive note, I guess it's time for a would you rather question. Chris. Yes. Would you rather Gotham or Atlantis be a real place? Um, isn't Gotham like crime ridden and super dangerous? Yeah. Atlantis is the one that's underwater. But it, theoretically Atlantis in its prime has ways to or is atlantis for like underwater people or is it for normal people to live underwater um the lore kind of varies like i think atlanteans are technically a different are they a different like species i guess i guess they'd have to be huh there's there's so i've seen you know there's different depictions of atlantis that range from literal mermaids to you know people that like you know two regular people and also like an in-between of hey here's a you know, different evolutionary branch of people that are usually better than us, but, you know. All right. I'm going to assume they're talking about DC Universe Atlantis if they're bringing up Gotham as the other side of it. And in that case, Atlanteans are a different race than humans. In that case, it's impossible to live there. So Gotham. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I want to live in either of these places. Oh, I guess right, it's not yeah. asking if you want to live there. It's just asking if you want to be real. Yeah. I mean, where would Gotham be? Jersey? <laughs> I think I think canonically isn't Gotham kind of based on Chicago? It's kind of a weird like mix of Chicago and New York City. Maybe, I don't know. Well, it's not New York City because Metropolis. Oh, Metropolis is New York City. Yeah. So I think I think I think Gotham is is Chicago-ish. Do we just add it to like a state that doesn't have a major major city? Like Congrats Montana. <laughs> you did it. Gotham Montana, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Like it's got yeah it, like it's got a place and it, it is a hub but like it's its own separate hub it's not like we're putting it next to New York or Boston it's, or it's not just intersecting Chicago okay trying to want, I'm trying to think of if it would be a place I would want to visit and that my gut reaction is no <laughs> <laughs> so are we saying are we saying that they are bringing along like. If Gotham pops into existence, does Bruce Wayne live, like, is Bruce Wayne slash yeah, Batman The major there? themes, yeah. I think Gotham has Batman and the Joker and the key characters. I'm not going to drag in the tangential universe, like, right. the whole, it doesn't bring the whole DC um, universe with it, right. Yeah, it doesn't bring the whole DC universe with it, but the major players like Batman and the, and the people whose base stories are set in Gotham exist. All right. So Atlantis will have it. Aquaman. I think that actually makes my decision for me. So I don't know if you want me to go into my thoughts 
Yeah, that's the whole point. We're on a podcast. <laughs> mm, you're right. <laughs> this is not a medium. So, okay, if that's the case, the stuff that's just focused on Gotham is going to be pretty Gotham focused. That was kind of redundant, but you know what I mean, right? I don't really know what you mean. So, okay, let, let's, let me do it from the Atlantis point of view. There are factions in Atlantis that believe that Atlanteans should rule the world. There is no one in Gotham that thinks that, that like, you know, there aren't any major, all, all the criminals in Gotham are much more low level than like the, you know, effectively eco-terrorists that we'd get if Atlantis popped into existence. Yeah, the the, 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 the votes in, in Gotham are for anarchy. They don't even think Gotham should rule itself, never right. mind the world. Exactly. They're like crime lords. I don't really know that much about um, Aquaman's villains. The the big one is is um N- Namor Namor hold on is that it Namor nope wait no Namor is Namor is Marvel hold on wait a minute wait a minute like was, I didn't even see the doing? most recent Aquaman movie the only real Aquaman knowledge I have is tangentially based on Mermaid Man <laughs> that's great I mean we did a whole episode on Aquaman Chris we we did all of Aquaman's powers. Yeah, but that was his powers. That wasn't his lore. We specifically ignored his lore. Aquaman fought Nazis, so that's cool. There's apparently the human flying fish, uh, which is pretty much just what it says on the tin. Which which villain are you thinking that wants to take over the world? Uh, hold on, let's see. Is it Ocean Master? Is this the dude? Is this the guy? Hold on. What does he actually do? He wants he wants the throne of Atlantis. Yeah, blah blah. Cool. That doesn't affect me. That doesn't affect you. Man, he kind of just wants Atlantis, huh? Well then. I could have sworn. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, yeah. Orm resurfaced several years later under a new identity of Orm Marius and become the criminal known as Ocean Master. He used cutting-edge technology to create what appeared to be natural disasters. He attempted to use this technology to hold the world for ransom. So he basically would make big natural disasters and try to get money out of, like, governments and shit. Okay. That's not great. Yeah, that's not great. It sounds like there aren't that many of them like that, though. This, this one guy is like this. But but there is, to like, part of it, there is a, like, half-magical race of beings that get pulled into existence as opposed to just, like, a bunch of weird, crazy people in Gotham. Yeah, Gotham is, there's going to be a lot of criminals, like, a lot, but they're all going to be very self-contained to right. Gotham. Yeah, it, it might increase, like, yeah, like, the, the, the stuff that gets out of Gotham might be, like, crime tech, like, nasty drugs or weird weapons that might come out of Gotham and, and spread their way into our lives if we don't live in Gotham. Atlantis, Atlantis has, like, the upside of it being a cool underwater city, but yeah, the having super villains is a problem with, with superpowers because that creates lots and lots of destruction. Right. Gotham coming in doesn't create any actual superpowers, but Atlantis 100% does. But even if you do, here's the thing, even if you do, like, I'm just going to think about the impact on my life because I feel like, for me, I'm not going to live in either of these places. So it's really just going to be, like, what's on the news and what makes it to my life. And I feel like the Gotham news and the Atlantis news would be about equally interesting if you wanted to follow it. Like, it'd be like, oh, cool, neat. Gotham is going to be harder for it to make its way into my life. Atlantis, Atlanteans could, especially if you have, like, either a super race or, you know, if Atlanteans are just better at shit than we are. They are. You know, they're going to come out of the ocean and take our gerbs. <laughs> they could have a way to, like, visit. Like, they could have a tourism program thing where, like, normal people go down there. 
That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be the one cool bit. Yeah, but they also occasionally have to fight giant jellyfish. And that means that we'd occasionally have to fight giant jellyfish. <laughs> well, we're the tourists. We don't have to do that. I'll tell you, what's this I'm seeing now about an alien dragon? Wait. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> ben, just casually, ben just casually reading the entirety of the Aquaman series while we do our podcast. That's kind of what I, yeah. Like, if tourism is big in Atlantis, you're never going to want to visit Gotham. Like, tourism in Gotham isn't going to be a thing. I mean, people visit Chicago. It's just Chicago with weird clowns around. <laughs> I imagine Gotham being a way worse than Chicago. <laughs> it's not like a war zone. It's, it's a city. It's just, you know. It's a city, but it's, I don't know. From stuff that I know about Gotham, it's not a great place. Well, you only read the you only see the crime reports. All you, all you watch is is when things go down. They don't. There's That's not too true. many comics on just Gotham, you know, on a regular ass Wednesday. That is true. Yeah, I've confirmed that there is also an alien dragon named Tiamat that Aquaman fights. But that's not necessarily going to be in Atlantis when you're there. <laughs> but I mean, if we're saying that Aquaman comes, it only makes sense that Aquaman's villains come as well. Yeah, but the ocean is a big place, and they can go to different places. Okay, like, it's like yes, saying you won't go wait. to the Caribbean because there's hurricanes sometimes. Right, but hold on. I would like to point out... tags on Tiamat, right? Like, they're not, it's not going to be a surprise visit. It's going to be like, oh, we see Tiamat within some number of miles. There's a Tiamat warning for this week. Maybe you rebook your vacation then. <laughs> my, my point is not that. My point is that adding Gotham adds some weird criminals. Adding Atlantis adds an alien dragon. We go from a bunch of criminals to a bunch of criminals plus some more weird ones versus... No alien dragons to one alien dragon. That's an a big increase dragon, in alien dragons. An alien dragon that's contained to the water. It's I don't not. have to go to the water. It's not contained to the water. <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> so I think it's time to vote. I, I also like that on Tiamat's page on the DC wiki, it has alignment. Bad. Marital status? Single. <laughs> Occupation? Conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Ben. Your vote first. Yours is the I want Gotham, not Atlantis. <laughs> I actually agree with a lot of what Ben is saying. So I'm also going to go with I'd rather have Gotham. Really? I thought you were going to go with Atlantis. I, I usually like the story. It just It's one of those things where it's just, it's exciting, but I'm not like that, that, that excited to go to just like a cool underwater city. Like I'd be like, oh, that's cool. I could have gotten a similar experience going to like Italy or something. And the downsides are real downsides. <laughs> I don't. So I'm choosing Atlantis. I think that regardless, I mean, yes, there are going to be worse villains, apparently. But like Gotham is a very depressing place. And as much as I would like Batman to be a real person, all the negative stuff that comes with Batman in Gotham, I don't like. And I feel like the overall like general feel of the cities Atlantis is a more positive city than Gotham. I guess it just, it just depends on how you do the math for, you know, whether Atlantis is a net positive or a net negative for existing. And Gotham is just a general mild net, net negative. <laughs> cool. So there's that. If you enjoyed the show today and want to show your support, uh, leave us a review. It's great. It's easy. There's buttons all over the place on your apps and browsers and things to leave us a cool review with a with a shiny five golden stars and tell us how great you thought we were. So that's one way you can help the show. If you want to help more directly, of course, there is our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash absurd hypotheticals. 
where you get access to um, additional episodes, um, our, our behind-the-scenes episodes that are potentially morphing into fireside chats. Lots of cool things going on back there, but you will have to listen to find out what that is. Yeah, so the next one that's coming up, this next, uh, on April 5th, is it April? No, it's not April 5th. It's April 2nd is not a behind the scenes. It's a fireside thing. Yeah, there, there's some, there's good content there. Like if you want to find out what my favorite movie is, you gotta, you gotta listen in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real, real firm answers on that one. <laughs> you, you tried to answer the question like, Name one movie that I like. <laughs> don't esta- don't tell them they have to experience FOMO for them to put their dollar into the machine, Chris. That's how this works. Yeah, c- come here as attempt to find out one movie Marcus likes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, to establish more FOMO, I'm going to tease our next week's episode right now. I do it all the time, but I'm going to do it again this time. So please join us next week where we answer the following question. Oh, it's a grab bag. We're going to answer a bunch of questions about homes. 